episode six of Sisters Coffee and Crime. I'm Sandra. And I'm Christina. This is the case of 11-year-old Allison Parrott, who went missing in July of 1986 in Toronto, Canada. This would remain unsolved until the 1990s, when a tip would lead police to the monster that killed a defenseless little girl. Join us while we dive into the case of Allison Parrott. Allison May Campbell Parrott was born on September 28, 1974, to loving parents Leslie and Peter. Allison was a beautiful 11-year-old girl. She had short blonde hair and hazel eyes. She was also a talented athlete. She ran track. She won the 800 meter at a local meet in Toronto. Her race time qualified her to represent Ontario at, at a track tournament in New Jersey that would have taken place on August 1st. 1986. Just before her summer vacation, Allison would accept a track banner on behalf of her team. During an assembly at Ecole Gabriel Ray in Toronto, Allison stood on the stage while her peers chanted her name. On January 25th, 1986, Allison answers a phone call at her house. A man saying that he's a photographer and needs to take pictures of Allison and her teammates. Now this didn't seem so strange because she did have an upcoming track meet that she would be participating in. She was a part of the Tom Longboat Club. And this was an international track and field meet that was gonna be taking place in Plainfield, New Jersey. It was supposed to happen on August 1st, which was just about a week away. So Allison calls her mother, Leslie, for permission. And Leslie says okay because she thinks that Allison's teammates are going to be there. So there's nothing really to be concerned about. Right. And apparently this man had called the Parrot's residence 11 days before while Allison was at summer camp. It'll come out later that some Toronto families listed under Parrot got a call from a man asking to speak with Allison. Now we know that Leslie gave permission to meet this photographer at the University of Toronto Stadium. Leslie even helps Allison with directions to the stadium. In Toronto in 1986, it's not all that surprising that an 11-year-old would take public transit to get around town. In fact, I don't think it's that surprising now. I mean, no, I don't think so. If no. you walk in Toronto, there's younger children taking transit to get around. Right, right. Subways, all sorts of stuff. Right. Yeah. And actually, the stadium was only four stops away from the family home. Okay, so it's, it wasn't that long of a... No, but you know, in cases sense. like this happen, there's right. always a lot of talk about why would a parent let their kid go alone. Right, but we have to remember that this is 1986. It is 1986, right? but like I said, it even happens now. Right. Leslie tells her daughter to be home around 2.30 p.m., and when Allison doesn't return by 5, her parents are more than a little concerned. They begin to call around and try to find Allison. When no one has any information for Allison's parents, they call the police, and they don't wait too long because they call the police by 6 p.m. Allison's parents make a plea to the public for her return. Posters are plastered all over Toronto. Unfortunately, Allison's body would be found just two days later in a wooded area at Kings Hill Park on the Humber River. Allison was found bruised, naked, and in the fetal position. She was raped and strangled. In the three years before Allison's murder, there are three child abduction cases of young girls 
that are pretty high profile. They come up over and over again while researching this case. In 1983, nine-year-old Sharon Morningstar Keegan went to play at a park and she was later found raped and strangled. Her body was recovered in a garbage bag in a rooming house fridge. In 1984, Christine Jessup was abducted from Queensville, Ontario and later found raped and murdered. And possibly the most infamous child missing case eight-year-old Nicole Moran vanished from her Etobicoke building. Now, they have tried over and over again through the years to connect Nicole Moran mm -hmm. to all of these cases. Right. And they tried to link them. Nicole Moran is the only... Is, Nicole Moran and Christine Jessup aren't solved. Okay. But they try desperately to, to link, link these them cases. together? Okay. Yes. The day Allison was murdered, three eyewitnesses say that they saw Allison with a white man. Police will go on to interview about 18,000 people who thought they saw Allison that day. They will also interview dozens of potential suspects. Now, they do interview the man that killed Allison pretty early on. Francis Carl Roy is interviewed. He was on police radar because of his criminal record and the fact that he used the same facility that Allison's track team used. But Roy has an alibi. Sort of. He says that he was out running that day, which to me isn't an alibi if you're by yourself. And then later on, he meets up with a friend at a bar. So because of that meetup, police clear him. Was it ever said when Allison was murdered? Like what time of day? I'm not sure what the exact time of day was, but it was early afternoon. Because remember, she was expected to be home by 2.30. Okay. So... It was definitely before then. But then his alibi is he went running in the morning, and, and then, then he, he went for a drink at night. Or was he in the middle of the day? In the middle of the day. She was dead before 2.30. No, I know, but I'm asking his alibi... Then, when the police were talking to him in 1986, his alibi doesn't clear him. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. They believe that he was running for an indeterminate amount of time, so... Okay. But they still didn't question him beyond that. They cleared him. They cleared him. Okay. It's pretty ridiculous. Okay. And because of this, the case does go cold. The police believe they've looked at all the potential leads and have worked every angle. So Francis Carl Roy moves to Vancouver in 1988. And in 1989, a tip is going to come in to Vancouver police. This guy gets arrested for stealing a block of cheese. Just some random guy. I don't I couldn't find his name. Oh, okay. And he's going to inform police that Francis Roy should be a suspect in murders of sex workers. This source is going to say that he saw uh, Francis with a sex worker emerging from some bushes and that he believes that Francis put something there like he hid something in the bushes okay how long did this did it take this guy to come forward after well she was murdered in 86 and okay. this is 1989 but he doesn't know about Allison Parrott okay he just thinks that he, this guy is a suspect in whatever murders against sex workers Okay. So, so these two officers w are going to go to the place where he says that he saw him last. Or last. Whatever. Like coming out yeah. of these bushes. 
And they do find something. Here is a quote that I read from uh, an article in McLean's magazine. Under a rock, I found a big knife and a rope intertwined with wire. We called the bosses, but the information from two guys with five years experience on the job seemed to be far-fetched. It wasn't going to be pursued. It was extremely frustrating. End quote. So these two officers whose names are Doug Fell and Mark Werthers, they just couldn't let this go. They have a feeling that Francis Carl Roy is involved in some really nasty stuff. Okay. Okay, so this story has a lot of, like, turns, and it gets a little bit complicated, so we're going to try to make this clear. Okay. So those two officers are going to turn over all of their information to a woman named Christine Wozny, and she's a Vancouver RCMP corporal, and she runs this database that tries to find patterns in cases that don't seem to be linked on the surface. So Christine then ends up getting the attention of a detective in Toronto. And this Toronto detective's name is Vic Matavanik. I'm so sorry. I hope I said that right. Uh, He works in the historical homicide section. Okay. Now he's getting this information about Francis Roy and he thinks, well, maybe he's linked to crimes in Toronto and since Roy ended up moving back to Toronto in 1991 Mm -hmm. he assigned some officers to basically trail him and see if he's up to no good and they follow him and Roy ends up throwing um the cigarette butt on the street the officers pick it up and bag it and now they have his DNA and through some testing, I guess they test it periodically because there's a big difference between 91 and when they link him to the Allison Parrott case because he gets arrested on July 31st, 1996. Wow. So now police know that he trained at the same facility that Allison was at. Okay. And that's what they think that that's when they think he set his sights on her. And remember, Roy was a runner, so that's why he used the that um, that same place. Mm-hmm. And he did have an interest in photography. And the person who called said that he needed to take pictures of her. Right. Okay. Now, he does have a criminal record that includes burglary, theft, fraud, assault, and rape. Of course he does. In fact, when Allison went missing, he was on parole after serving just two and a half years of an 11-year sentence for the rapes of two teenage girls. One girl was 19, and the other one was 14. And the stories are eerily similar. He lures them away with plausible stories, and then he brutally rapes them. But those two women got away. Those two girls got away. Not women, they Those girls. two girls, I know. 19, I mean, I guess young. Yeah. Well, young women. Now, that actually, that piece of information, when he went to trial, was kept out of the trial. They weren't allowed to bring up those rapes and how he lured the girls away in the uh, Allison Parrott case, which is... Why? Why weren't they allowed to? Because they say that it, like... Taints. It taints it, like... Right, you know, but it also shows, like... I think that they're similar enough that it should be able to yeah. be in there. Yeah. But the way the justice system works, it's just not allowed. Yeah, obviously he only served two years out of 11. 
I mean, just the simple fact that he got only 11 years for two rapes. Exactly. And obviously the parrots were very upset that the jury wasn't allowed to, to know this that. information. Sure. And they said something like, you want these 12 people to make informed decisions, but without all the information. Right. Which is true. So we're going to talk a little bit about what Roy's defense is. And remember there was an eyewitness who saw Allison with a man that day. Okay. And they said it was a white man. Yes. Well, Francis Carl Roy is Aboriginal. Oh, okay. So, but when you look at what the eyewitness said, they did say it was a dark-featured white man, maybe Italian-looking is what was said. Okay. And, I mean, we're Italian. Yeah, fair enough. You get told, uh, how many times you get told that you're that you anything are. but Italian, I Right, feel. exactly, yeah. So I don't see no, as that true. being too far off. Right, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Because Italian people, they do have like a darker complexion. They have olive skin, olive skin. Yeah, sure. And he says, now his DNA was found in her body. We oui. Right. Okay. Well, here's his explanation. Earlier that day, he was masturbating. Okay. And since he's uncircumcised, he has to pull the skin back on his penis. And that left semen on his hands. And that day, while he's out jogging, he has to go pee. And okay. he goes in some bushes, and okay. he finds Allison's naked, dead body. Okay. And he has the strange urge to stick his finger inside of her. And that is how his DNA got in her body. That's his defense. Okay. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess he had to come up with something. I, I don't know. Right. Why is his DNA on her body? Yeah. I, I don't believe this for even half a second. No, and... I hope nobody else fell for it, but I guess... Well, well the defense does not work for the jury. Mm-hmm. Because, and after six days of deliberation, which actually is kind of a long time, so yeah, they, they really days. did go through it. Yeah. On April 13th, 1999, look how much time has passed. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, he was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole for 25 years. This makes him eligible for parole... Hold on to your hats. 2024. Oh, wow. That's... I know it's coming up, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Okay, so one kind of neat thing that I found while researching this case mm-hmm. was that Allison's mother became an advocate for young victims. Yes. And she did um, advertising. She worked for an advertising agency. And okay. her agency put out a PSA. And it was called the Stay Alert, Stay Safe. And it's aimed at children... 7 to 10, and if you were in Ontario in the late 80s, 90s, yeah, the Stay Alert, Stay Safe, the two bunny cartoon bunnies, you know it. Yes, you're right. You do know it. Yeah. And it's just basically trying to teach young kids to be attuned to their instincts with dangerous situations. Um, the two bunnies would tell kids to be aware of everything around them and that not everything is what it seems. They would use optical illusions to make you think twice about things. Right, 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 right. Leslie Parrott did a lot of interviews, and she wanted parents and educators to better prepare children for dangerous situations. Yeah. Now, she did do an interview about Allison's death and what the process afterwards to move on has been like. Okay. And here's a quote. A very telling thing for me in terms of healing is that I can't stand spring. It was like a knife going through my heart. All the life coming back. 
But when we started gardening, my attitude changed. End quote. It's just really sad. Yeah. It's crazy that they had to wait that long for yeah. answers. But right, right. on the other hand, it's amazing that they got the answers. You know, we go from 86 and he gets convicted in 99. That's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. It's a very long time. Yeah. But I'm sure that they were happy to get that kind of closure. Finally. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, you're right. Allison Parrott, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the podcast and remember to follow us on Twitter at sisters underscore crime and on Instagram at sisters.coffee.and.crime. Talk to you soon.